Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, the Nottingham Forest podcast from Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis, hosting as usual, and we're here to talk about an actual win for Nottingham Forest, the first one in nine games, I believe. And we're joined today by uh, Reds legend Gary Bertels, once again back on the show, and former Reds player turned Times reporter Gregor Robertson making his debut. Gregor, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yes, good, good. And Gary, good morning again in a slightly more subdued shirt than we last saw you. How, how are you getting on? I can't wear dodgy ones every day of the week. I've got to just tone it down now and again. I don't want to frighten the neighbours and things like that, do I, with the uh, colours and expanse of my shirts? No, six okay. days out of seven will do. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, Forest have won a game against Sheffield Wednesday and I unfortunately didn't get to see it because I was covering a very ironic dour nil-nil draw between QPR and Stoke in the capital. And um, I know Greg has seen the highlights, but Gary, you did see the game. So we'll give you first dibs. Uh, a very welcome win for Forrest. What, what did you make of it? It doesn't matter how you win football matches. You know, when you're in trouble or when you're at the top, you know, you just got to win football matches. And last night, uh, I think the overall... Uh, opinion was it was a bit scrappy which you expect the two teams down at the bottom of the league both struggling both desperate for a win and uh, I, I thought Forrest did particularly well last night I was really pleased for Mighton you know he came in there and he engaged that back four he made them think uh, he, you know obviously he didn't score but every time he picked the ball up he was prepared to you know, have a little go at them and I think that's what's been lacking a little bit. Poor old, uh, you know, Lyle Taylor's been, he's been isolated up front by himself. And I think that helped him last night with Mighton because he was unpredictable. Defenders hate unpredictability. And he just gave you that little bit of something. Both teams were guilty of giving the ball away far too much. You know, I think Tony Pulis and Chris will be, you know, a little bit disappointed in that respect. Could have been a little bit more composure on the ball, but it doesn't matter. You know, Lewis Graben coming on, Late on, what a finish that was. That's what we expect, you know, Lewis Graben to do. Uh, it wasn't easy uh, because he'd only just come on. But, you know, it was a stunning finish. It wasn't easy. And uh, it took the pressure right off. So, a lot more to be positive about from that performance last night. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, they're OK. The, the build-up looked good. Uh, Bannon, you know, was the man on the ball all the time, you know, pulling the strings. I think we kept him quiet enough for him not to cause us problems in that final third. And it, it looked a little bit like, you know, Forrest had been playing the way Sheffield Wednesday played. A little bit of a decent build-up, but no end product in that final third. But we looked more threatening, I think, last night. Ami Obi, every time he picked the ball up as well, around that 18-yard box, he tried to make things happen. A couple of shots, maybe he could have, you know, passed a little before. But I haven't got a problem with people having a go and having a shot. But a lot of encouragement for me. As a left-back, Gregor, was Mighton the kind of winger you'd have hated facing? A, a young, nippy, uh, you know, direct winger? 
Absolutely, yeah. And at the Brentford at the Brentford game, you know, Lolly doesn't look to be in you know full of confidence and in his best form. So um the thing when you when you introduce a young player like that as well, it's a dose of un- unpredictability. You come up against someone you don't really know a great deal about, perhaps, and he's kind of quick, youthful, full of energy. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have enjoyed coming against coming up against them, and I think you know it benefits Forrest too. Uh, when I was writing columns for the Post, I often wrote about the kind of connection that having academy players in the team um, sort of brings to the club. It's sort of I don't know the the the, the fact that youthful, full of energy, desperate to impress. It's just a, it's just something different. It's a, it's a, it's a good alternative to have. And Forrest have had been so fortunate to have these players to call upon in the last few years when, when they've struggled, uh, when they've struggled to struggled in the league. So, yeah, delighted to see him come in and and, and do well. Um, and it's so important that Forrest scored the first goal. I thought, you know, mm. and they go behind. Although there's been they've been, impre- you know, they, the second half against Brentford they were really impressive for spells. But it's easy to do that when you're chasing the game. You know, the pressure comes off. You've got to go for it. Uh, if you get that first goal, it ch- changes the dynamic of the team. And it kind of, you know, if you go behind it, the, the confidence seeps away again. So getting that first goal was hugely important. And obviously, the second kind of, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. And cutting out those individual errors, Gary, I mean, that's been such a big problem. They've shot themselves in the foot so many times and gone behind for the first goal, as Gregor says. To actually be defensively solid, obviously, keeping a clean sheet does make all the difference, doesn't it? Oh, massively. You know, my old gaffer, you know, built on clean sheets. You know, we won games, but it was so important to keep that clean sheet and keep things tight at the back. And I thought Worrell was very impressive last night. I liked the way he comes out and has a little bit of a go at times. You know, he, he said, you know, we've got to do things better. It's not good enough for how we're doing at the moment. And I think Forest fans, you know, particularly any football fan likes a player maybe to come out when things aren't going particularly well and mistakes are being made, you know, to come out and say, yeah, we are making mistakes. We've got to do better. Because so often you see interviews saying, you know, well, okay, it's it's mundane interviews. It's, you know, per se, it's, you know, what you, you're told to say. And it's it's refreshing for somebody to come out and actually say what we're thinking, what, we, what we're seeing in a football match. You know, it doesn't sort of insult our intelligence and, uh, yeah, there were a lot of decent performances last night. I think the quality's got to be a little bit better from wide areas. Um, I think we got in some really good positions. Cafu at times, you know, he had a couple of really good chances to play players in, second half especially, and just massively overhit the pass on a couple of occasions. And, and you know, that's nerves. You know, that's when you're down at the bottom. If you're at the top, that, that pass would probably go, you know, where it's supposed to do. But when you're tight, when you're tense... Those things tend to happen a little bit. But, you know, going into, is it the Millwall game next? You know, yeah. it gives you massive confidence. But they're never easy to beat. You know, nobody's easy to beat in a championship. You only have to look at Rotherham and Barnsley and Luton. I mentioned these before. These teams are winning football matches. and not fluking football matches. They're going out and winning games. And, you know, we've got to start matching that. And I'm sure Chris is telling everybody that. Because when you see teams like that above us, with the squad we've got, you think, well, how is that happening? Um, so one win, yeah, it's great. It takes the pressure off. Go and follow it up now. Don't you know? Don't throw that opportunity away. Winter on the trot, and then you know you're going into the Christmas period a lot happier, 
And who knows what happens in January, you know, with uh, the transfer window. You were at the Brentford game, Gregor, <clears throat> on Saturday, and you did a piece afterwards, including Worrell's interview. What did you make of Worrell's interview? It was quite direct. And like Gary says, it wasn't a typical, uh, you know, fo- football post-match interview from a player, was it? No, quite rare these days. I think my first, my opening sentence was, Joe Worrell did not sugarcoat it. And that, <laughs> that basically summed up. He, from as soon as he opened his mouth, he even said a couple of times, I need to be careful. I need to choose my words carefully here. Because you could see he was quite angry, and you could mm-hmm. tell that they'd been, you know, they'd been probably having some honest truths being told in the changing room before he came out, um, and he even sort of said that Gary Brazil had kind of encouraged them to do that in a in a kind of in a little conversation uh, in the last week or so. He said you need to, you know, although you're a young lad who's come through the academy, um, you have to wear an armband, and you can don't don't feel afraid or shy to to tell some of these guys some home truths and, and he thought that the players should be working harder I think sometimes that's simplistic you know I think I didn't look at that game and think Forrest need to be working harder Joe Worrell knows better than me but um, you know I think there was other issues that were kind of more more uh, immediately clear to me than 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 just running around more which he was saying but he thinks that he, he thinks well, that what stood out to you? Sorry, I was going to say, when, what were the issues then that stood out to you? Well, I think, uh, as Gary sort of alluded to there, I think Taylor does look did look very much kind of isolated. And as I said, Lolly just looked like a shadow of the player we know he is. And that happens. Um, and I just felt the kind of gaps between the midfield and, you know, players getting in support of, of Taylor. It's, it's very hard... It's very hard for you know enough players to be getting into the box even, um, and also when you're playing with you know I think Ryan Yates is a brilliant young player. Um, Careful saying that on here. For, no, <laughs> Forest fans are a bit on him. I don't care. I think, <laughs> no, I agree with you. I think if um, you watch the game and you look at someone who never shies away, mm. who even when you're under the cosh grows in stature, and actually he, he starts to. To be more kind of to be to be braver on the ball when when he has to be, he sees that no one else is doing it, and he takes responsibility. I think and he was playing some decent diagonal balls and trying to get Forrest on the front foot, even running through and getting fouled at one stage towards the end. So I think he's <clears throat> I think he's a really good player. Kafu, I think you know I'm not entirely convinced that that was his when he dropped back into the this sort of second holding role alongside Yates in the second half. I think. Be better. I'm not entirely convinced about him in the, the ten rule. I think he takes too many touches. I think you need mm-hmm. to move the ball quicker when you're in there. Um, but I just think that, you know it, it didn't look coherent and maybe lacking a little bit of pace and a little bit of purpose. And but that's what Lolly was. That's what Lolly is at his best. And you you know you give him the ball and he he was one of the, the most dangerous wingers in the championship. So for whatever reason, he doesn't look to be in that form this season. Uh, so hopefully, Mighton can step into that. That kind of role, and yeah, I don't know. Just you looked at the two teams, and obviously Brighton are a uh, sorry Brentford are a fairly high bar these days. Although I know Brentford are a small club in comparison to Forest, but they've been intelligently run over a number of years. And Warrell even came out and said that afterwards. He said, "You look at their team, and really only they've changed Tony for Watkins up front. It's a very similar team to last season." And I asked him the question. I said, "Well, you." Compare that to you guys who signed 14 players after what was a 
you know, a disappointing end to last season. And, you know, there's constant churn. Is that, you know, is that helping you guys? And he said, no comment. And he said at all, really. So mm. I think, you know, I, I think that's that's the most obvious thing. It, didn't, it looked like a group of players who are still getting to know each other and not really got the partnerships all over the pitch. And I think, you know, there are bigger issues at play with it than just Hutton picking the team um, for each game at the moment. Mm. Do you think, Gary, maybe, I mean, one win doesn't solve everything at all. I'm very, you know, not going to jump and say Cafu's the answer to everything now, but he did have a decent game against Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, do you hope this does give them some confidence now going into games against sides who, who aren't at the top end of the league after this very tough run? Well, after the run they've been on, if you don't get confidence from a 2 0 win, it's, you know, you, you, you've won 2 0, you've got a clean sheet, you know, they'll be delighted with that. The mistakes were down to a, a you know, a minimum last night. The keeper looked more confident last night. You know, he's come under a bit of scrutiny because he was absolutely superb last season, possibly the best goalkeeper in the league. And uh, that, that one he didn't come out for where, you know, the, the guy got across him and headed it and then the penalty was given away by Yates. Uh, yeah, so he's he's had a little bit of a blip, but, you know, he's, he's good enough to bounce back from that. And, uh, yeah, you've got to take confidence from... That because the, the number of shots they were having on target in previous games was very low. Uh, possession, you know, probably wasn't as good as it could have been. But last night, the difference was for me was just, you know, Mighton against Brentford. I don't know if you agree, Greg. You saw the honesty of Taylor. He was desperate to get involved. He was dropping deep. He was dro- dropping probably too deep to just get involved in the game. You know, I like to see strikers do that because if you're not getting a kick, you know, the one thing you have to do is try and get involved. And by by dropping too deep, nobody was going past him. So everything, again, was stalling and allowing Brentford to get on the front foot and do what they do best. So it was good to see the pressure taken off it a little bit last night, you know, with might and, you know, with his pace and, you know, his, his unpredictability helping the team. Mm. I mean, what do you make of Forrest having Graben back, Gregor, I suppose, it must be a big psychological lift. Obviously, he got the goal. He's made a poor start to the season, but he did get that goal. Having someone of that quality coming off the bench must be such a lift for a struggling team, mustn't it? Yeah, I mean, having him having him back fit, it's it's pretty remarkable, really. That and you know, I think what the next player for us saying will be their seventieth in the last three or four years, and um, really the it, the burden of goal scoring has been on him mm. for a while now. You know, I think Taylor's a good player. I think he's a good sign, particularly on a free. Um, and I think he'll turn out to be a good sign. You know, you know, although he's, the goals aren't flowing for him, I know mean, I think he got four or five games around between kind of the end of October and November, but he's not scored for a while. I think you know, I think he's got goals in him in the championship. But Graben has done it consistently. You know, first striker to get twenty odd for for a long time for Forest uh, last season. And yeah, of course, having him back makes a huge difference because, you know, even the even the goal he scored last night, it was a kind of pretty classy finish, just outside of the right foot, really kind of confident and calm and casually slotted away into the corner, which no one else really seems to be able to do right now. No, you must have admired that one, Gary. I think um, yeah. you've spoken before about Brian Clough telling you to make your mind up early and, you know, act instinctively. And that, that was a striker's finish, wasn't it? It was, but you look at his body shape and there was there was no panic. There was no jerk movement. It was just upright. It was calm. It was collected. You know, that's what you do when you hit a ball. You often see strikers when the ball goes over, both feet off the floor, over balance, you know, tilting to one side. His body shape was perfect. You know, he didn't try and knock the 
back off it, made sure he hit the target. It was a stunning finish for me. Uh, but the problem now for Chris, he's got a bit of a headache. You know, uh, does he bring Lewis back in the team along with Taylor, along with Mighton? You know, that that's going to be a difficult one for him. Um, I, I would like to see that because it creates problems for defenders. I think that's been the big worry for me. We don't create enough pressure on back fours or back threes uh, as a team. You know, it's quite comfortable for oppositions at time, you know, to mark, you know, Taylor because he is that lone striker. He'll run his legs off. He'll put, you know, a massive shift in. He'll get a foot in. You know, he's, he's honest in that respect. And I think somebody up front with him will benefit the way he plays because mm. he's so unselfish. And the other problem, I think, is, you know, to talk about Lewis Graben going, is it to China or somewhere else uh, in January? Yeah, um, Middle East, yeah. Yeah, if he does go there, then you've got a problem. Who do you replace him with? Uh, so I'm, I'm sure Chris now is get to the stage where he's had a really good look at the attitude of his, his team, not the, not the ability. We, we, you know, you don't doubt ability. I think attitude at times, you know, is more important, you know, than, than your ability. Ability you've got because that's what that's why you're playing professional football because you have that. Then your attitude comes into it, and he'll have been looking at all those sort of things, you know, off the pitch on a daily basis on the training pitch. He'll have his backroom staff doing exactly the same, and they'll be going through things with a fine tooth comb. They'll sit down and say, "Why, well, you know, I'm not too sure about him and him, but yeah, he's okay. I like his attitude, and you know, these are the things you have to do now in the, in the modern game because." You know, the, that that's what it's about now. You know, when we played, maybe it was a little bit easier to do that because, you know, we didn't get paid what they do now and we just loved playing football in those days. You know, that's what we wanted to do. We just wanted to play football, uh, simple as that. Um, but now, obviously, you know, it, it has changed massively and uh, it's more difficult now for, for coaches and managers to get things right because agents are, you know, a big part of football They'll be telling their players what to do for their own particular good. And that Forest squad is massive. And they'll be on big wages. I've said this before. And it's going to be difficult to move players on if they don't want to go. You know, Gregor will know that. And it's it's so difficult. People forget that sometimes. They'll say, well, why don't you get rid of so-and-so? Why don't you get rid of him? It's not that easy anymore. Mm. When did you retire, Gregor? Like three years ago, was it? Two years ago? Four and a bit now. Getting so... <laughs> I, I, you know, that's not you long ago. Believe me. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Has the game changed massively even in those four years, do you think, watching from a slightly different perspective in terms of tactics and player mentality even? Have you noticed a difference from you know from a journalistic point of view now? Um, I think player mentality, um, I think it's been a kind of gradual, there's been a gradual change in, in the way players think and feel about football over probably over my career I think and and the kind of the, the things that Gary was talking about there that, that players are almost at, even even at the championship level you know the money that these guys are earning and they're almost like little businesses little entities in themselves and so there is a bit of you know it's it, it's a case of the man when there's a choice between changing a manager or changing a uh, uh, a group of players who are underperforming and earning, you know, upwards of a million pounds a year. Then, which one is the easier option for a for a chairman or a club owner? So, um, yeah, that's changing, but that's that that's because of money essentially. Um, 
And tactically, I suppose, I don't know, I think there just seems to be uh, more of a demand from supporters now to see something more than results. They want entertainment. Mm. And again, I think that's gradually changed. I think, you know, teams want to, you want to see some sort of plan, I think. I think, you know, the, with social media and with the, the way that football's poured over now, tactically, um, supporters, particularly younger generation supporters, want to be able to buy into seeing what what the plan is from their team on the pitch, which is, you know, and I've often found it funny if it's Forrest in the last few years, not funny is the wrong word, but you, they've, signed, they've, they've hired managers who've been conservative at, at heart. Their approach to, to the game is conservative. They want to be, you know, solid at the back and they're not always thrilling to watch. So I would say that of Karanka and Martin O'Neill and I would say that of Chris Hutton. But then sometimes when results aren't going your way, that buys you a little less time with supporters. If, if you see something more than, you know, something that gives you optimism and um, a sense of, you can see what the manager's been working on during the week and, you know, entertainment, essentially, you see that, then that buys managers a little, little more time. So I think Forrest have been, you know, they've learned that to their cost that the, because of the, 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 the type of football that these guys play, that these ma- the managers have had recently play, uh, often the fans have been a little bit quicker to start to question what the overarching plan is. And the brutal truth is at Forest, there doesn't really seem to be one. No, that's true. That's true. The, um, thing, is, the thing is, the three teams who went up last season all attacked. All, yeah. it was all, you know, all out. It wasn't defensive. It was good to watch. It was flamboyant. And you see now, you know, Leeds are not making a bad fist of it. Fulham are de- starting to get half decent results. West Brom got a re- really good result last night. And then they're and, sacking their manager. Yeah, and they're sacking the manager. Talk of sacking the manager. But th- those three teams were all very good to watch. They were all very positive, all very uh, forward-thinking. And, uh, you know, that's why they went up. And I always say that. You know, why don't we look at how the previous teams, previous seasons, how they got up, what they did, what sort of players they got involved, what sort of systems did. And I don't think we, we, we do that. I think bring your own, you know, things to set your own thoughts and ways of playing to the table. But look at what went previous and how it got teams up and try and mix it in and blend it in. And I think, you know, that's where Forrest have slipped up maybe with the, the previous managers that that hasn't been the case. Hmm. There's one thing I want to get your take on, Gregor. Um, there's a bit of a debate on the comments here about two up front. Um, Gregor, I'm saying Taylor and Graven together up front for me, but then uh, Richard Leonard saying can't play two up front directly with one just behind. Where do you stand on that? Because in your career, I guess, um, you know, left back, you were bombing forwards and putting crosses in for two strikers <laughs> or, or or hitting in from the halfway line, seeing if someone got on the end of it, I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, through your career, you would have played with two strikers. So where do you stand on that debate now? I mean, I think, you know, there is a room for pragmatism still. I think it depends if Forrest think they've got two good strikers who you could have them both on the pitch and Chris Hutton's someone who's certainly played 4-4-2 plenty in the past. Um, you know, it's about looking at the squad you've got at your disposal and the players. Um, I don't think, you know, it is it has it's becoming rarer and rarer to see two centre-forwards on the pitch. Um, and often some teams now, they, they kind of, they play three at the back and they can get an extra man in midfield that way. So, you know, there are ways of doing it and if, if you know, I, if Forrest think 
or if Hutton thinks that having both of those guys on the pitch is going to help them score more goals, then it's certainly something that's worth looking at. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not against it. And you know, but at the same time, if just because you're playing one, one centre forward doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to get enough players, enough bodies into the box, and you know enough support. A lot of the best, you know, a lot of the best teams in Europe, in European football, in fact, all of them, you play with one striker, and you still see plenty of attacking, um, dynamic football, and plenty of movement and and players players breaking breaking from other positions and getting forward and so it's about there's a lot of kind of a lot of things that go into that and but I think if you just come down to to Forrest's kind of inability to score goals this season um and the way that Chris Hutton has kind of played in the past and set up his teams in the past, I wouldn't be surprised to see two strikers and four four two in the future. Mm, mm. What, what it does, what it does when you've got two for, up front. I'm not, I'm not talking about playing two up front because it gives you more of a goal threat. It's playing two up front. It just engages a back four. It stops them bringing the ball out so easily. And I think that's where we've slipped up because, you know, uh, Taylor I think works more harder than Lewis Graben across the line. He'll put defenders under pressure. Um, but if you got two up front. It stops, you know, centre-halves having comfort to come out and bring the ball about. Two can go across the line, maybe stop full-backs getting as far forward as they, they, they want to. And they've got to then think the full-backs, right, OK, well, we've got two up here. I'm not sure if I can go that far forward. Whereas before, when we've had one up front, we've encouraged teams to attack us again and again and again. And, you know, when we do counter at times, there aren't enough players getting forward quick enough because the distance is too far to get involved with Taylor up front, you know, and it's, it's difficult to do that for 90 minutes when you're trying to go on 60 yard runs all the time when you're counter-attacking, you know, you can't do it for 90 minutes, no matter how fit you are. And I think that's, you know, the two up front puts pressure on defenders. It makes them think it may maybe makes them make mistakes more. If you press them higher up and you can force mistakes in their half instead of your own half, then everybody else can step up from the back five yards and make it a little bit more compact and more difficult for oppositions. Because I just think, you know, over the last couple of years, it's been too easy for oppositions to come forward and play through us. One thing you... I would say, sorry, one thing on, I would say is that, is that um, you know, one thing I noticed in the Brentford game was that there was, particularly in the first half, Brentford were, you know, this might be a result of not, you know, not pressing the opposition well enough, but also in behind that, they broke through the lines quite easily and you saw Chris Hewitt sometimes turn around and, you know, he was raging. It was, it was too easy to get through. And if you get Brentford's midfielders turning and facing the back, uh, Forest back four, you're in trouble. And that happened once, that happened too many times in the first half. So, you know, if you're losing a man in midfield as well, then it, it makes it, it makes it difficult. Often, I think if Forest were to play 4-4-2, then you'd be looking at even more sort of conservative mm-hmm. football. It'd be two banks of four. And making the team break you, break you down, and then looking to break it uh, once you win the ball back. So, there are lots of you know. I think Hutton's Hutton's been here and done it before. I think the thing is, well, everything I said about the style of football buying buying you more time and buying you a bit more faith and kind of confidence from among the supporters. I think that's still true. Hutton has played some winning football really in the championship wherever he's been. So, I think if he's given that precious commodity of time, which we heard about um, 
a while back that managers haven't gone at Forest. I think if he's given it, and you know, there's a little bit more of a kind of joint up, uh, collaborative approach to who the who they need to sign in January, and who they need to move out. And Hutton will be a success. I have no doubt about that. Do you think he's made his mind up about players now? Whether they win the next three games or not, do you think he, he'll have made his decisions on players into January now, Gregor? I think the, the thing, the truth about that is that it's always, your mind is always changing. You'll know, broadly speaking, who he, who he wants to keep and who he wants to move on. But there'll be people who come in and make an opportunity or in training still still change your mind sometimes. So I think, broadly speaking, you'll know. And there's players that there's there's areas of the pitch where Forrester have got too many players. Um, most most players, most areas of the pitch. <laughs> yeah. um, so a part, I think part of the job, a big part of the job, is moving people out because I honestly think that if you if you look at Forest this season and you look at them and over the last couple of years, a big big issue is you've been keeping keeping people happy. And you know we've, we've heard all the reports about. About the bomb squad, and you know, I've been in a bomb squad. I've been at clubs where other other uh, players have been in bomb squads. Probably not quite as big as Forest, but it it's hard. Even even if you try and separate those two those two groups, and you know, you you're kind of creating divisions within a dressing room that maybe the players don't want to see, or they feel that that's unfair. So, I think kind of making a better atmosphere around the place is almost as important as who they sign and. And a big part of that is getting players out because if they're, you've got so many players that are unhappy at the club, then it's hard to have a good atmosphere. So, you know, I think you needs to be supported in that. And that might mean Forrest kind of cutting their losses on some players and losing a bit of money, but holding your hands up and saying, we've made some mistakes here. We need to approach it slightly differently now. Can you tell us what it's like being in a bomb squad? I think people will be interested to know. I mean, what is it day to day? Are you training with the kids and eating on your own and all that? It must be pretty dispiriting. Is that what it's like? Yeah, although I mean, you know, as I say, if I was at a club that wasn't quite as as big as Forest, it might mean you have a. Sometimes you're training the kids. Sometimes you might be you just train in a small group if there's enough of you to, and someone's take putting on a session which feels like a token gesture for you, and then you do some running at the end. So yeah, it's pretty demoralising, and you know you don't want to be in that position for long. So that's mm. not, that's the, that's why they put you there. <laughs> they want you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Forrest has done it. You want these guys to leave, but it's not always straightforward because, as Gary was saying, they're in a good few quid, some of these guys, and good luck trying to get someone else to pay them that kind of money. And sometimes even if you've been out in the cold for long enough, it's hard to get a, player to, uh, a club to take you on loan. So mm. look, at, look at Zach uh, Clough. You know, I, I said last time, yeah. I thought he'd, he'd gone somewhere, but he's still at Forrest. You know, so yeah. that just tell you how how deep the squad still is. The players have still got, you know, that you uh, can, they, they aren't getting anywhere near the first team. But you can understand his position is that probably you know, I don't know if he's got a family or whatnot, but he he'd be thinking that this is probably his best contract he'll ever he'll ever get. You know, the next step is going to be a downward step, and if Forrest aren't willing to to negotiate with him about you know coming to an agreement on that contract so he can find a new club, then. He's well within his rights to to sit tight and, and earn some money. He's going to find it difficult to to get a club at anything like the same level when his contract expires. But that's a decision that he's got to weigh up. So 
you times that by however many times, how many, however many number of players that Forest have in a similar situation, then you can see why the atmosphere at the club is probably not great. Well, it's mm. fantastic having an owner, you know, as wealthy as Mr. Maranakis, but it's also a curse because, you know, agents will tell the players, you know, the contracts are that good. You're not going to get that anywhere else. And, you know, we, we hear that, you know, the, the owner is putting so much money in per month that, you know, you tend to forget about a little bit as a fan, maybe, to keep the football club going. And we're very fortunate in that respect that we have him to do that because the squad is immense. If the squad was, you know, a lot smaller, it would still be difficult. But, you know, you, you just try and quantify it, you know, the amount of players they've got and the academy, the whole lot, the whole football club, how much he's having to put in to sustain, you know, what's going on. And when you when you get down to the nitty gritty, it's a hell of a lot of money. And uh, you know, Chris will be desperate. And I, I agree with you. We might, you know, we might have to cut the losses and say, right, okay, you know, we'll we'll, we'll pay his pay him off or pay him off. That might be the case. You're not going to be able to do it with everybody, but I think uh, that is something that's going to have to happen to allow Chris to bring players in that he wants. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's going to take any of these players? To be fair, it's not going to be there's not going to be a long queue for a bloke who hasn't played a game of football in a year, is there? I suppose, um, Gregor. I wanted to ask about your experience at um, Northampton when you were in a very struggling team, and Chris Wilder came in and turned it around. I mean, what was the process like there? How did Wilder do it? I mean, did he do it on his own? Was it? A, is he just that good a manager? What, what happened there? I suppose the circumstances were a wee bit different in that, you know, I he got the job, I think, in January and I signed two weeks later. So we were kind of, we had half a season. I think we were six points adrift from safety. Uh, we had half a season to to save ourselves, basically. And he was quite smart. I mean, again, these are different circumstances. He, he signed a lot of players who who were almost, maybe, maybe your Zach Cloughs of the world who were mm. taking a step down but were kind of fighting for their careers. And he knew that if you're fighting for your career, then you're fighting for the club as well. So he was quite wily in that regard. And he's always actually done that. If you look at the, the players, he, he, say, he loves a player with a point to prove. So I think what he did, what he was smart with in that regard was signing players. And he did change a lot in that January. He moved a lot of players out and he signed a lot of players. And he just kind of kept a really positive, but kind of slightly grisly, gnarly sort of. <laughs> you see what he's like in the in his interviews, and he's pretty similar behind closed doors. He is a scrapper, and he sort of, you know, that rubbed off on the players, and we we turned things around. So it's a different situation for us. I think, you know, well, you've got to move players out. You're probably looking at the. The kind of makeup of Forest Squad, I would suggest you maybe want to reduce the, the average age a little bit. He, Hutton might be looking to sign players who are, I would, if I was him, which I'm not, but I'd be trying to sign players who are some of the best, best around at clubs lower down than Forest who are coming and this is a big opportunity for them and they've got something to prove and they want to either really impress a big club in the Championship or fight to get in the Premier League. Forest seem to sign a lot of players who uh, maybe are coming down from uh, well, I don't know, they just don't look like they are really hungry and fighting for it. Mm. I think part of that, you know, that if you look at the, the age, there's quite a lot of players who are kind of 
either approaching 30 or just the wrong side of 30, with maybe the best days are perhaps behind them, uh, I would try and change that situation personally and trying to get some players who are the best days are in front of them. Mm. Gary, do you think that's been a fault of Hewton's this in his tenure? I mean, Ember So and Mighton come in and Forrest win and, you know, they look much brighter. Hewton's really stuck by the senior players that have done you know, very little for him. I mean, is that to Hewton's credit that he sticks with them and backs his players or is it an error of his? Do you think they waited too long to change the team a bit? I can fully understand that he wants experience because he, he's been in that position before. You know, he's got teams into the Premier League, but football evolves. And I think it's evolved again, you know, in the last four or five years. And that's the problem you have. You know, you're seeing athleticism now. Uh, you're seeing younger players coming through, hungry players coming through. And, you know, yeah, I think you've got to get the blend right. You, you can get experienced players in there, but you need that mix in there. You need that enthusiasm, that desire, that wanting to, you know, succeed. You, you've got to put it in perspective as a player. I, I don't understand why players... Don't put it in if, if that's the case, because you only get one shot at it. You know, you're so lucky to get one shot at playing professional football. You think of how many people want to play that game of professional football in the country and how many actually can do it at any level. And, you know, to, to just not go for it 100% every time you go on the training pitch and every time you go on the, out to play a game, I don't get it. You know, I, I loved every minute of training. I loved every minute of playing football. Even when I went to Grimsby, you know, I saw young players who were absolutely loving what they did. They were hungry for it. And, you know, it was a great way to finish my career. You know, two two successive promotions. And a lot of that was down to younger players. You know, the enthusiasm of it, you know, the, delight, the desire, the delight to win things and be successful and realise that, you know, it's only a brief time in your life you've got as a, you know, because your body only allows you to do it for so long. So, you know, go in there and love every minute of what you do and, you know, do everything you possibly can wherever you go, whichever team you play for, to make it happen. Uh, we're going back a bit of time here now, Gregor, but was that something that when you were coming through at Forest, it, it, I remember it being quite a young, vibrant squad. Is that right? Was there that energy about it that was a, a factor in Forest success in the time you were there? Well, this must be brutally honest about it. The success was just before I got in the team. <laughs> Paul Hart was, uh, you know, he made, got the team in the playoffs. And undoubtedly, Crikey, you, everyone remembers that team with Andy Reid and Dawson and, oh, JJ, Jermaine Genius had only had moved on. David Putin had moved on. Uh, you know, there was other players, Craig Westgard, John Thompson. A lot of players came through in the academy. And I, as I said earlier, I think Forrest have, I find it almost tragic that Forrest have repeatedly sold players to, to clubs buy that aren't bigger. Ones. Than, absolutely, to clubs that aren't bigger than Nottingham Forest. Mm. I mean, I even go back to Ben Brereton, ben Brereton who's who's starting to find his feet in the, you know, after a not not a great early time at, at Blackburn, but selling him and then and then signing players who. Or you know, as I said, in their thirties or whatever, and and paying you know paying them more than you would ever pay Ben Ben Brereton at his age, um, and you you know you can say that about several players. I find it tragic that Forrest have repeatedly sold these players to fund <laughs> to fund a kind of slapdash approach to to signing mm. 
ridiculous number of players who aren't really majority of whom you don't even see that much of. So, and I think what they've lost from that is, which is the thing that Forrest had in those days under Paul Hart when I was there, was, as I said, a kind of connection. The fans love to see a team with a number of players who've come through the academy who you know, like you saw Joe Worrell come out after the game there, you know it really means something to them. They're not a kind of transient guy passing through or somebody who's getting their last big contract. They are fighting and they've been at a club since they were teenagers or maybe even younger sometimes, and it matters to them. And so, you know, I think Forrest have lost a little bit of that as well by moving these players on. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that it was like that when I was there. That was down to Paul Hart, really. Mm. Um, but there's a there's a, a downside to that if you have too many, you rely on too many of us, which we saw when ultimately uh, we were relegated to League One. Mm. Mm. Well, I think you mentioned Paul Hart. We see what you know uh, Luton are doing at the moment, and I'm sure he's playing a big part in you know what's happening at Luton. You know, as assistant manager, and uh, his knowledge of the game and young players especially will will help them massively because you know they've got one of the lowest budgets in the championship we've talked about this before and uh you know the knowledge from people like Paul Paul are invaluable in the game and it's great to learn of you know you love sitting and listening to what he's got to say about younger players and I say I think the balance has got to be there yes bring experienced players in but don't overcrowd your team with them um because yeah, you know, they're on big wages. They have been on big wages in the Premier League. They come down, maybe not as enthusiastic as they were, you know, at the higher level. And that's the problem you face. You're hoping that they're enthusiastic. You're hoping they're going to come and prove a point and say, right, I want to see my career out and I'm going to prove a point, you know, that you've let me go, uh, so to speak. And you'd hope that was what they'd try and do. But not everybody does that. I'm not saying that nobody at Forest, anybody at Forest is doing that. Uh, but you, you've seen in the game of football that that sometimes happens. You know, it's it's difficult to get that enthusiasm. Uh, enthusiasm, I'll get that word out right in a minute. Uh, you know, when you've been at the highest level, and you have to drop down. You know, you have to adjust. You have to realise that maybe you know your body's not as good as it was. You're not as quick as you were. You're not as agile, and you know, try and adjust. I was lucky because I was able to play centre half. You know, uh, in the latter years, and you know, I found that quite comfortable because playing up front. You know, you knew where the striker was going to run, run, what he was going to do. And, you know, in that respect, it made it a little bit easier. But uh, not everybody gets that opportunity. But, yeah, I, I would love to see, you know, youth brought through. You know, Gregor talks about the Paul Hart, you know, when you saw David Prutton, you know, uh, JJ, you saw um, Dorse, who's still there. And, you know, it will be a big influence in the team, hopefully still. Um, yeah, it's 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 a difficult one because you know game of football does evolve, and I'm sure it's evolved since Chris you know was in the championship last, and you know it's not always easy to to marry the things up, but you know that's what he's got to do very quickly, and if he can get rid of players in January, we'd we'd love to see that so we can see you know what the future is and the players he brings in. I guess we'll see how enthusiastic they are on Saturday going to Millwall. I mean that's you know the stereotypically very difficult game. But um, it'll be behind closed doors, won't it? Because I think of the tier three thing. I mean, do you think that makes a difference after all the controversy of the terrible booing um, the other week? Does that make it easier for Forrest Gregor or not, do you think, going to Millwall? Um, I, I would think that, that probably all of that is in the past. But having having even 2,000 Millwall fans there would probably um, be probably better not having them. 
Although, I, you know, we, I talked about this the other day with someone, and I think even in, I, even if I was going to Millwall, I think I'd prefer that they would have, you know, if I played for Forest and I was going to Millwall, I'd prefer that there were some fans there. Because there's nothing better than going behind enemy lines, so to speak, and nicking three points. And, you know, sometimes you can get the fans to turn to turn on their own team. Um, and I just think the presence of fans in whatever number is better than none. And it's got to be so strange this season for the players. I really, I think they kind of actually deserve a bit of credit for being able to, it's been an odd season, but for being able to turn out decent performances on the whole. Um, mm. So and I think, yeah, I just think it must have been really odd for them. So so personally, I would be disappointed and I'm sure, I'm sure Forest players will be actually just that it's back after having a, having had a, a small taste of what it's like to have fans inside the stadium for it to be taken away in a large swathe of the country again. Do they have to get something at Millwall, Gary? I mean, is it another... Maybe you know, they don't have to win it now because they've got to win, but is it? A, I guess it's imperative to build on this now, isn't it, even if it is a tricky trip to London? Back-to-back wins. I think you've got a chance to do that now. No disrespect to Millwall, but what you have to do is, is don't go there. I hope they don't go there and just sit back in the first 15, 20 minutes and try and, you know, keep it at nil-nil. Just take your positivity into the next game and get on the front foot from the start. You know, that, that's what I hope is going to happen. And, and cut these mistakes out. I mean, that, that free header, the Brentford first goal, I've not seen a freer header this season than that. It just looked like, the, you know, they were glued to the floor, the defenders, because, you know, there was no, no challenge. Nobody went with him. It was a free header. It was a good header. And, you know, Samba had no chance with it. You know, whether it's zonal marking or man-to-man marking, I've always been a man-to-man marking fan because, you know, space doesn't score a goal. You know, if your man gets loose and scores, then that's your responsibility. And you have to take responsibility in football when you're playing playing the game. So, uh, yeah, it was easier for me to say, right, that's my man. I'm picking him up. If he scores, you know, I'm going to be really uh, uh, disappointed with myself. But, you know, everybody's different. Everybody does it different. Uh, But that was unacceptable, that, that first goal. And that early in the game, it, it just knocks you for six. Look at Sheffield Wednesday last night, you know, the early goal for Forrest, you know, just knocked them for six a little bit. You know, that their team talk would have been keep it tight, you know, don't let Forrest you know, get in get in front early on because their confidence is low. That didn't happen. And then the confidence sways Forrest way and, you know, they go and win the game and it was quite comfortable in the end for them. So don't go to be Millwall and be negative and sit back in the first 20 minutes and say, right, come on. You know we're going to sit back for twenty minutes. You know we're, we're hoping you don't score, but if they do score, then you're chasing the game again, and that's not what you want. Mm. I mean, Gary raised the point that I was going to ask you about, Greg, having seen that Brentford game as a former defender yourself. Can you explain how a team can let in such bad goals? I mean, the first one and the third one were as bad as it gets. I thought so. From a former defender's point of view, I mean, how can that happen? Do you, can you explain? Uh is it a confidence thing or is it laziness? It can be. I, mean, or, it can or, be. I think, I think, you know, I think Figueredo's, I think that was, I think that was his man. I think Hutton basically said that after the game uh, to the gathered press. Um, and he seems to be maybe being a bit low on confidence this season. Strange, isn't it? I mean, players like him, he was probably one of Forest's best defenders last season. Goalkeeper as well. Lolly. You know, these are kind of steady hands, I think, and, for, for the last couple of years for Forest, um, and it feels like after I don't know after last season's 
capitulation, um, the pressure that seems to be thrown on them this year, and the, just the atmosphere hasn't been great. I don't know. Maybe that's affected even players who you think are kind of solid, reliable hands for them. Um, so, so yes, I think you know, even if, although it's something as basic and sort of prosaic as following your man and marking a man, uh, you know, if you're if you're, if, if he's low in confidence and every time a corner they lose a corner and he's thinking, you know, I don't want to lose my man here. And you know, sometimes you might. And you've got to give Brentford credit too. I think they're a team who work, work set pieces very well and they probably, you know, they sometimes do some good stuff with blockers and whatnot. Um, and the last goal, yeah, I, I, it's a long ball. It would not reflect well on a the defender. But at the same time, you've got to say, what a finish from Ivan Tony on the kind of half volley sliding. So, um, how do you lose, how do you explain losing goals like that? It's hard to really, particularly when they're individual errors like that. Often it does come down to to confidence or a lack of it, um, and it's hard to it's hard again. If the next question would be how do you turn that round, it's it's very hard. You have to work harder and be brave, I think, and um, and eventually you kind of you know hard work kind of digs you out of that hole, I think. Mm. I mean, does it come down to character at the end of the day? They are, in theory, well, they are good players. I'm not saying in theory they're good players. They are good players. Does it come down to mental resolve at the end of the day to get them out of this then, you think? Or Gary, do you want to answer that one? Well, yeah, every every player is different. Their, their mental strength is different. You know, in, in, you go, you go. people say in our day, but you, you have to go look when you played. You know, we had a lot of strong characters in our team. You know, we had a lot of vocality in our team. And you, you can only assess... What you know, you, you're watching now with when you played, uh, and you go through the whole of our team, and you know there were no shrinking violets in there. And I think uh, in the modern game now, that's lacking a little bit. There's, you know, you don't see a lot of leadership out there, and uh, sometimes, you know, players get down on themselves too easily, and you know it's noticeable sometimes. And it's like, well, you know, I, I go back to the uh, the Liverpool. Who did they draw with in midweek? Um, was it the the one all Fuller? Fuller. Yeah, yeah, the the free kick, the penalty. I mean, in in our you know when we played, and probably when you played, Gregor, you, you stood there and got hit in the face. You didn't give the opposition the the opportunity to get a penalty stupidly like that by turning your back. That's why they got that penalty because they turned the back. They didn't want to get hit in the face. Get hit in the face. Get hit in the stomach. Get hit anywhere, but don't put your arm up and and you know say right, okay, I might give a penalty away here. You know that that's mental strength, getting hit in the face, you know, facing up to it, and you know, it, it costs you know it cost them you know a point. It was a penalty. It was a right decision, and little things like that. You think, you know, why are those things happening? And um, yeah, you've you've got to be mentally strong. It's it's difficult sometimes, especially with what we're going through at the moment. This pandemic has caused all sorts of you know problems for everybody. Not everybody's the same, you know. Everybody reacts differently to every situation they're in, and this situation we're in at the moment is dreadful. It, it really is, and you know, football for one thing, sport for one thing, you know, has been a massive tonic for people. You know, they've been able to watch it, maybe not at the grounds, but it's been out there. You know, so you know, I think we've got to be a little bit lenient as well at times and say, well, you know, we're living in times that we've never ever seen before. Uh, put it into perspective, and you know, it's. That that's the way we've got to go. But, but personally, I think you know you've got to. In Forrest's case, there's a kind of 
you know, there have been reports about it, particularly in the last few weeks, where there's been a kind of weighty, slightly oppressive atmosphere around the place. And I think there are times when that becomes reflected on the pitch. That's the way the, that's that's the feeling at the club. Then some, you know, you, you can't just banish that. Not everyone can just banish that on a Saturday and go out in the pitch and play the same way that they, they always have. So I think that, you know, it's not been a particularly enjoyable, happy place. Well, that's, that's, a footballer. that's interesting, Greg. I've not heard that, you know, um, but that was a case under Martin O'Neill. I heard that, that, you know, player power. I think everybody heard that, you know, player power was part of what got Martin out. It was denied at the time. Uh, so if that is you know rearing its its ugly head again, again it's something not, that happened. You know, I'm not like, saying I'm not saying necessarily right at this moment. I'm saying that there's been a a period of time, particularly from from the end of last season, which was a catastrophe. To you know, we've been on a very bad run now. There's been a change of manager. There's been more more comings and goings. It's just and yeah, there've been for the first time question marks about the kind of the stewardship. I think of the of the football club. Um, and I think, uh, personally, I think that sometimes that can be reflected on the pitch. I think if there's, it's not, a, if it's not somewhere, somewhere where the players are going in every day and feeling kind of looking forward to going to training perhaps, or, you know, there's lots of little intangibles, lots of, lots of little things that feed into that. And, you know, one of them we've spoken about was the kind of the bomb squad and how many players they have and how many, there'll be so many players who are unhappy every day at that football club. You see, I've got to, I've got a to, bit of that rubs off on the team. I've got to disagree with you a little bit. You know, it's you get you're employed by a football club. You know, we we put football in a, in a different perspective, and we shouldn't do that from normal jobs. You know, people are saying, "Oh, we've had this, Matt, haven't we?" Before about, "Oh, we're playing too many games." Football is not a game that should be brought into the domain of like I say, the national health and going working on building sites and things like that. You know, it's a privileged position. You're there and you should be professional about it. And I don't think players now are ultimately professional about what they do and how they go about the business. I think they get led astray by their agents a little bit. I think that's a big part of it. Brian Clough said agents, what, 40 years ago, agents will kill the game of football. And I think he had a bit of a point. Uh, I'm not saying all agents, but I think, you know, they play a big part in what their players do and how they react. And I think to disparage what's going on at the football club uh, from the owner downwards, I think it's the best it's ever been behind the scenes for many a year. Not you, think the way that, you think the way that they're playing 70-odd players with, like no, with no coherent strategy is a good, was a good, uh, I'm not, a good way to run the football club? No, I think the recruitment has been pretty poor. That's the one thing I said before to Matt. I think that's the one thing, more than anything, that hasn't been right, the recruitment. I haven't got a problem with that at all. And I think everybody would agree with that. You know, we all make mistakes. And when people can admit the mistakes, that's even better. But for players to then be, you know, the the, the snippets you hear that player power, that, that should never come into a football club. You're, at a football agree. Club, you're under contract. You have to do what you do under that uh, obligation of that contract, and if you you know you throw wobblers, I think that's wrong because you know you're in there as a professional footballer to be professional. Remember who you are, where you are, and who re- who you represent, no matter what. And that's all. I was, 
That's I'm not saying that anyone's throwing a wobbler. Maybe, maybe, maybe they are, but I don't. I'm not saying that. I just saying it's psychology. It's like if well, this isn't a place, if this isn't a place where you're happy to to be every day, and it's not got a good atmosphere, then that's reflected on the pitch. And I think that is the, the case at Forest this season. Well, in that, in, in respect of what you said about the bomb squad, I, I, you know, that that didn't happen when we played. People were out the squad, out the team, and you you thought you watch it to get back in it. I think that's wrong. You know, being made to train with the, um, you know, the the young kids or whatever, unless you've done something ridiculously, yeah. you know, wrong, and you you've been an idiot. You know, you, you see some of the things that are going on now. You know, perfect the uh, Premier League players. You know, breaking rules of COVID and things like that. You know, th- these shouldn't happen. You know, it, it's out there. We know what this this you know, um, COVID brings to everybody. It's it's so deadly. And people are still flouting the rules, you know, people in the Premier League and people, you know, celebrities and things like this. And it gives the bad example to everybody else. You're not in it long, Gregor. You know that. You could, it could happen at any time that you get a bad injury. You've got to be professional and do as you're told within your contract for the time you play football. Yeah, you're going to be upset. But when I was upset, if I was, you know, not getting... I was lucky because... I didn't particularly get left out, but I saw players that weren't. But what I saw from them, the majority, they did everything they possibly could to get back in the team and prove a point. You know, they didn't sulk. Uh, they didn't, you know, throw a wobbly or anything like that. And I think that's that's the case now more than ever. You, you can throw a wobbly. Uh, you, sometimes you get bad advice. But, you know, you're your own, your own man at the end of the day and you can go on decide your fate within within your profession, not just football, with any profession. And, you know, you look at, you talk about Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton in, in Formula One, you know, the desire that that man shows is just incredible. And you look at the, you know, Ronnie O'Sullivan's in snooker, these people are up for, you know, uh, sports personality of the year, Tyson Fury. You know, you become your own person and, and you can go and do these things, you can achieve these things. So I, I think, at times, footballers can be a little bit, you know, stroppy and throw a wobbly more than they used to. It's a um, good debate. Someone put on here grabs popcorn, which made me laugh a bit. Um, <laughs> quite interesting what you get. Um, well, the other thing I was going to say is a comment here from Richard Leonard, which might sum up the situation about Clough wouldn't let it go in his days. It plays on his plans, he got rid. Uh, I think the problem with Forest is they can't get rid, which is um, what we've uh, reflected on. They've got too many. Uh, players were actually to get rid of have to pull their hands in their pockets uh, to get it rid of costs them. a lot more money to do so now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right, I think uh, I've asked a few guests on this uh, to finish about where they like the club to be in 12 months. And Gregor, I, I suppose I'll put it to you as a former player who has the club, you know, close to his heart still, I'm sure. I mean, where would you like Forrest to be in 12 months uh, as a football club then? Um, where would I like the club to be? I'd like the club to be still in the championship and fighting for the playoffs where they should be. You know, it's too much to say, you know, should be winning the league or whatnot, particularly after all the turmoil of the last few years. But I think we should be in the promotion mix. You know, this season now, after the start and after another change of manager, um, is about consolidation and getting the getting the place on a sound footing again. Um, I would just like to see a bit more strategy 
I'd like to see, and that might involve Chris Hutton having a bigger say. And you know, and I come, keep coming back to recruitment, but it's a pretty big part of any football club now. So, you know, reduce the number of players that they're signing, and make them a little bit more, um, you know, pinpointed and strategically. You know, we need we need someone to improve us. We need a goal scorer. Let's let's not sign three that are average. Let's sign one who's going to be the one who's going to fire us close to the Premier League, um, and stick with Hutton. Stick with our manager. Um, so yeah, I, I think if if you know if they if they learn some of the lessons um, because of, from the mistakes that they've made in the last couple of years, there's no doubt. I'm not questioning the, the support and the you know the amount of money that that Maranakis and and uh, the Greeks are, are uh, and support that they're showing Nottingham Forest, no doubt about it. I mean, and there's a lot been a lot of improvements, undoubtedly, in in the time that they've been owners. But I think they need to see that you can't just throw money at it, and you can't just keep chopping and changing managers and players and throwing enough pieces at the jigsaw pieces at the puzzle and hoping they fit. I think you need a bit of a you need to have a little bit of patience, actually, because there's not been much of that either. I think it's, you know, he wants promotion, he wants it yesterday. So I think you need to kind of take a step back and say, we need to we need to show a bit more strategy, a little bit of patience, and support the manager, and we will get promoted to the Premier League in that case. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a good plan. Right, fellas, thank you very much. That was some good lively debate, which everyone on the comments is enjoying. So um, thanks for giving us your time. Gregor, you've given us your time for free. Is there anything you want to plug, some work that you've been doing recently for the Times? Anywhere, anything you want people to follow you on social media? And- excuse me, excuse me. It makes it sound like I'm not giving my time for free, which I am. <laughs> You're not on social media. Do you have anything you want to plug? Contract. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get that right before. No, he's got a lucrative contract. I can't get rid of him. I'm going to have to pay him up to get rid of him. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, anyone wants to, we do a podcast at the Times as well called The Game. So, anyone wants to listen to that, um, then feel free. You'll find it your normal places. Um, that's about it, really. Excellent, excellent. It's been a great pleasure having you on, Gregor, and it's always a pleasure having Gary on as normal. Gary will be back next week on our Christmas special, which we've already recorded, uh, a quiz, a battle of wits between him and David Prutton, which uh, Gary loved. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was good. It was lively. Get into that. (laughs) (laughs) So that'll be back next week. uh, And thanks to everyone who watched along and joined us. Hopefully we'll be talking about another win for Forest when they go to Millwall uh, on Saturday. And we hope everyone has a very good weekend. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah.